what's going on? Not much. Let me turn my phone up, make sure I can hear you good. Okay. All good. Hey. I was supposed to I was supposed to say, What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> right. Straight from Mark. I didn't have my coffee. Um Yo, so welcome to Care Dangerous Talk, Miss Jamel. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited about this. Um, well, before I start, you know, just spewing off my thoughts and whatnot, let's go ahead and start the show how I love to start it, by giving you your flowers. So I just want you to sit back and relax, and I'm going to tell you, Miss Jamel Hill, why I love you. Oh, so now you're just going to embarrass me. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. And you're not easily to be embarrassed, I know. So, you know, here we go. You know what? Um, you're just such a cool lady to me. Uh, you're just humble. You know, anytime I just want to talk, I can hit you up. You reply back. You know, um, when I first met you, you were cool. You you never changed. You know how some people, they're one person on one day, they're another person on another day. You just Jamel all the time. And I love that about you. You're just a humble person. You're a good-hearted person. You're fearless. And I really respect that. I'm not going to give you too many compliments in here because we're gonna. I'm going to give you more compliments as the, com as the <laughs> conversation go along. But okay. that's what I love about you. Well, I, that's really um, humbling that you would say that about me. Uh, thank you, you know, and believe it or not, compliments do actually embarrass me. So that wasn't a lie. It's like I, you know, normally I'm not real good at taking taking compliments. I don't know why, but uh, that's to be examined later, I guess. But um, <laughs> right. I always I always appreciated you because you as well were uh, I appreciate consistent people. You've always been yourself, nothing more. And especially, as you know, when we were uh, working at ESPN, it's a very um, high-strung environment. And so you always had, you know, a laugh or a smile or you would always say something funny. That <laughs> I try. I try that to would, be. You, yeah, you always bring some, some manner of levity to whatever situation. So I always enjoy working with you. So it, it was always a lot of fun. Thank you. That's so sweet of you to say. And I love compliments. Every now and then, they kind of embarrass <laughs> me, too. But for the most part, I welcome them. <laughs> um, Understood. I'm trying to get where you are. <laughs> one day at a time, sister. One day at a time. So check this out. I was wondering, do you remember the first time we met? Because I do. I just want to know that you remember, though. Man, I feel like and you can you can I'm sure I'm wrong because I, I am the worst person when it comes to do you remember the day that we met I'm it, it was it on set did it, it it had to be on set I'm assuming it was no, not on set no okay all right where what was the first time we met the first time we met to my recollection is you were coming out the stairway mm -hmm. um in the ESPN radio hall and I said hey I like your outfit you were wearing like a little this, I think, in a little tie. Do you remember that outfit? Like I a, think I do, yeah. <laughs> you don't wear those anymore, but no. back then, you, <laughs> you don't upgrade the wardrobe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you, you get a few more coins. Uh, though I think it might have been, I'm wondering, because it was one, uh, it was something I wore of that, but it was a reason I wore it, and I don't remember what the reason was. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so that's the first time we met. And I, and to be honest, with you, I didn't know much about you, but I, I always remember when I met you then, 
And then later on, I remember when you started, well, to me, you were being more vocal. And I remember talking to one of my friends, Shadiq, and I was like, have you heard some of the things Jamel has been saying? I was <laughs> like, I love this. And he said, he was like, she's always been vocal, Karen. She's always been like this. It was about Twitter. And I was <laughs> like, wow. So, you know, the more I started to learn you, the more I just was like, wow, she's pretty damn cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask me, you know, what made you decide to get become so vocal or when did you start uh, really speaking out? I'm like, I've always been this way. So to me, I'm just staying truly within character is that this is always me. That's not to say I go around with my fist raised everywhere. But if, if it's something that needs to be said, I say it. And so um, I've never had a problem with that uh, throughout my whole life. And it's just, I guess, when you're at a place like ESPN, that's amplified. So people, you know, sort of look at that and think like, oh, she just started speaking out. Like, nah, not really, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm no stranger. I don't know if you know this to voicing my opinion as well. No, <laughs> not you. Shocking. <laughs> uh, something that we share in common is we're both Sagittarius. How about that? You barely made it though, right? Like I you, did. I I just got in. I was like in the last group. <laughs> but look, I'm claiming you though. We're very Thank optimistic you. people. You welcome. We're very vocal. So yep. we got that in common, and I love that. And very um, direct too. Very blunt, right? People always say that about you. I'm sure. Yes. Yes. What have you heard, Jamel? I am very direct. But you know what? I grew up in the South, Jamel, and I went through challenges that helped mold me to be that way. You know, I encountered a lot of uh, racism. I encountered a lot of arrogance. And mm -hmm. um, I was so innocent as a child, and this is not me being interviewed, but I just want to say it. I was so shy as a child, believe it or not, that it took those, those situations, it made me speak out more. Like, when people were mean to me or like, you know, hearing somebody say the N-word in my class, a white student, that made me be more vocal. Because mm. I, once I learned my history, I'm like, I can't be quiet. I got to speak up. Right. So I'm just wondering, you being a, a Black woman from Detroit, how did Detroit mold you as the Jamel Hill we know today? Well, I think the, the biggest thing with being from Detroit is that if you met people from Detroit before is that we're we're all um what you see is what you get we're definitely all that way but um we also have a bit of a, a chip on our shoulder um because my city when I was growing up we did not we were never in the news for anything good ever like mm -hmm. I, you, I can count on Detroit making the national news twice a year once was when they released the murder rate because we were usually either number one or in the top three um, and then we also had this really terrible tradition called Devil's Night. And that was the night of, um, of Halloween. And what would happen is that people would just set all the abandoned buildings on fire in Detroit. And wow. some of them weren't abandoned. So you, it was literally um, like uh, th two, three hundred, sometimes four or five hundred fires that would be set in the city. And that was such a, a national disgrace and it was like really embarrassing. And so that would be the only time we would make the news. So I say all that to say is like, we didn't have the cool factor of a Chicago, of a New York, of a LA, Miami, even though this is a majority black city, uh, just as chocolatey as DC, right? Mm -hmm. But we didn't have that same, um, 
you know, we didn't have that same kind of perception. You know, people, I would, I would be with people who are from, you know, those major cities where we know crime is a reality. And I'd say, yeah, I'm from Detroit. They're like, oh, you from Detroit. It's like, you from LA, like, and like, you know, <laughs> so it, it was just always something we were always knocked down. And so because of that, like everybody sees the shirts now, they're really popular, such and such versus everybody. Those started in Detroit, right? It was mm -hmm. Detroit versus everybody. And then people started copying uh, for, for different messages. So, but that's really a theme that we have in our mind. Like it's us against everybody else because people think that, um, you know, we should be overlooked or disregarded. And so with that being said, when you come from a city like that, um, it gives you a certain level of toughness. And so mm -hmm. um, I got a lot of that from there. And then growing up as like a tomboy in Detroit and playing sports and being around, you know, uh, like guys a lot, you know, that definitely is something. I mean, you're some you're a musician. I mean, you're in hip hop. So, you know, you're in a male dominated industry. And a lot of times when you're in industries like that or in the company of where it's a predominantly male atmosphere, as the only woman, they're going to try to try you in certain ways, right? And <laughs> right. so, right? So you have to let them know that you ain't the one, right? You <laughs> right. And, yeah. so, and you have to go back at them like they come back at you. And, um, you know, when people ask me about his and hers and the show I had with Mike, and the, one of the things they appreciated is the way we were able to go back and forth with each other. And I, like part of the reason was because of the way I grew up. And so I'm able to, like, I ro you roast me, I'm roasting you. You know, you talk about my mama, I'm talking about your mama. Like, that's right. how it works. So because of that, I think um, those were all, like, characteristics growing up in a city like Detroit that, like, really served me well. That's awesome. And I know another thing you and I have in common, you're very close with your mother. And... Um, how was that relationship? I heard a funny story where you bought her a car, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, that's the yeah. moment I'm waiting on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, me, um, you know, me and my mother, I guess the dynamic is interesting because my mother had me when she was 18. So mm. I, always had, I always had the young mama. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always had the young mama. And so, um, and because of, of that and that dynamic, it was her you know, being sort of in and out of relationships until she got married. It said I had the young mama who was dating as well. So uh Howdy Toddy mama, howdy. <laughs> I mean she wasn't like out there like that necessarily, but you know, she had her fun for sure. But um uh, but it's also the reason why I think my musical tastes are what they are. I have her to thank for that. You know, she went through a, a few heartbreaks and that's how I got to learn about Tina Marie. So <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I love that. But um but no, yeah, it's it's a it's a moment that I think usually every child hopes that they can experience is when you can begin to give back to your parents in the way that they did when, um, you know, the, at least you may, you may never, it's not like they're asking to be paid back, but you realize it's the sacrifices that they made so you could get to where you are. And so my mother made a lot. I mean, she was a single parent. Um, you know, we were uh, on and off welfare. Um, she's also a recovering addict. So it was a lot of challenges that I had to deal with growing up. And she always, uh, as they say, made a way out of no way. And so um, once I started making a little bit of change uh, at ESPN and got to a point where I could, you know, kind of repay her, even though she never asked for it, uh, one of the definitely one of the highlights, if not the highlight in my life is being able to buy her a brand new car and the surprise of, uh, for it um, the year she turned 60. So oh, that was awesome. Yeah, so she was super shocked and very surprised. And 
um, yeah, it was just such a great moment. Now, I heard that you paid uh, cash for the car. That but is true, because you know, that, you know, you know, look, you cannot give my my manager, <laughs> my agent was like, I don't understand why you didn't just lease it. I was like, because you cannot hand keys to a brand new car to a black woman of a certain age. <laughs> and she thinks it might be a car note to it. And I'm like, I can't do that. It has to be paid off. All right. So, yes, I did pay cash for it. Baby, you sure you okay? This uh, car right? Exactly. <laughs> And you can hear her saying exactly that in the video. She's like, how you going to pay for this? I'm like, I pay cash for it. It's already paid for. It's like, no, no, nothing. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, man, that is such an awesome feeling. I know everybody wants to do that. Um, well, some people don't want to give back to their parents, which I find to be kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I guess it all depends on the kind of relationship you have with them, right? So it's yeah. um, some people didn't have a good relationship with their parents and they can't but um and then there are other people like that may not be something that they necessarily want to do but when we've seen so many videos of when athletes buy their parents a car or a house and in that moment i really understand why that's so special to them I haven't been through it now yes i want to get into some deep stuff about some of our experiences uh because i hear a lot of talk from people who's been on air about the struggles that they had at different places. Mm -hmm. I'm not, mm -hmm. not going to say the name because, you know, you got more money than me. I'm, I'm going to try to stay safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but before I get into that, I want to say, I heard you say somewhere that before you worked at ESPN, you knew who you were. You knew who you were during and you knew who you were after. Well, tell us, Jamel, who is Jamel Hill? Well, you know, when people ask you that, they say it like it should be something defined and set in stone. And it shouldn't be because part of you discovering who you are is like you have to evolve. You have to grow. Um, Charlemagne, the guy, said something that I thought was really poignant. He said, you get to it like I'm in my 40s now. So you get to a certain age and you start honestly unlearning all the things that you thought you knew. And I think that's mm -hmm. the cool part about gaining more wisdom as you get older and so i mean i have told i tell that to people about knowing who you are um because the 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 aesthetics or the geography is always going to change right mm -hmm. but when you go to places like a espn you go to these big places that have these certain reputations um you better you got to know who you are before you step in the door because if you don't then your integrity will always be negotiable. That's why mm. you need to know. And yes. whether I'm at ESPN or whether I'm at a small market station, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be the same person. The things that are important to me are not going to change. My values, what I stand for, um, what I stand against is not going to change based off who I am. And I have seen throughout the course of, of my professional career that for a lot of people, it's negotiable depending on where they are. And so yes. because I had such a strong sense of who I was before all the fame and all the money and all that kind of stuff started coming, that's why I'm able to deal with that in a way that is, does not compromise who I am. So, you know, when I went to ESPN, one, it was not my dream job. And I think that was helpful. <laughs> I do. I'm laughing it, because a lot of people, as you know, around campus would say, it's my dream job. This, you know, so that's why it's funny to me. <laughs> as, no, but you're exactly right. And, and that's not to say that it's a bad thing if it was. But I'm just saying for me personally, it wasn't. And mm -hmm. so 
um, I wasn't in there um, always with my cheerleading uniform on. Like, this is mm -hmm. a cool place to work. It's allowed me to do things in my life I didn't imagine I could do. But mm -hmm. at the same time, if I, I this ain't the end all be all to me. Like, I'm not defined by this place. And it's a lot of people that come in there and they allow themselves to be defined by their job. So because I had that mentality, I think I was able to kind of take everything in stride. And so um, having that sense of self was very important. So because of inevitably, as it did happen with me, the, the, the bullshit gonna happen. The drama's mm -hmm. gonna come. And so when the drama comes and you don't know who you are, then that's gonna leave you in a really bad position. And so when it finally came, I was good. I was like, all right, this is what it is. And um, and so I, I think I, I'm really grateful that I had, I was grounded before, um, you know, before I had to decide what it is that was important to me and put whatever I needed to be on the line on the line. You know what, you've been asked this question so many times and I was like, how, how am I going to talk about it and make it different? I mean, I don't even know if, are you sick of talking about your experience at ESPN? No, not really. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, I would expect to talk about it a lot because it's the longest job I ever had. I was there 12 years and mm -hmm. I realized that most people know me because of that. And so it's not, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I'm not like, I don't want to talk about it. It's like, it was a part of my life. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Well, you know, like the New York Times wrote an article about um, behind the scenes and some of the things the employees were enduring. And I read the article, and I know you talk of, you know, you made some quotes and some statements, and I, I can't say I was surprised to see, but, you know, so many days I felt a certain way, and I felt like, you know, I would speak up and say things to my peers, but I just felt like sometimes I didn't hear enough other people, you know, speaking out, and I and I was frustrated. So when certain articles came out, it gave me a sense of like, you know, mm -hmm. like right. not to say that I don't want to say, you know, how sometimes you'd be like, I knew I wasn't crazy, you know, but it makes you think to yourself, why don't other people say anything? It's like, it's like you you get treated a certain way, and you get, just get numb to it, you know. I mean, I, I'll say this, though. I mean, for one, me and the, the, the writer for the New York Times talked a long mm -hmm. time. And they, he probably used 5% of what I said. That's no knock on him. But like, you know, he's trying to do something that is, um, it, it's a difficult task. It was a little all encompassing. So a lot of the experiences I share with him never made print. Um, but to your point about people who speak up versus those who don't, um, Look, there is no question the things that I vocalized at ESPN, particularly my last three to four years, those are things that if I were in my 20s, I don't think I would have said. Like, or if I were in my 30s or at a different point in my career. You know, the the thing is, is that it, it takes some time for you to get comfortable doing that. And you have to know as soon as you say something, exactly what it is you're willing to sacrifice. And you know, I don't think, I think everybody at ESPN is in a different position. Some people feel more empowered to say these things than others. And, um, you know, for me, it's that by the time I decided to really pick my, my battle and my fight, I was willing, if I lost my job, I just did. Like, it just was what it was, you know what I'm saying? 
but that's not something that I could have afforded to do when I was 28, you know? No, I so, get it, yeah. Yeah, so some of it is that. And you'd be surprised, especially at ESPN, like a lot of us, anytime some shit went down, we were having meetings with folks. We just like, you know, and I, I know that for the public, they'll see something like that happens and they assume because we're not public and we don't say anything, we don't go off on ESPN that we didn't say anything. That is so not true at all. Like mm -hmm. we, we were called, you know, it wasn't nothing for any one of us when he was president to tell Skipper that some shit was, was awful and bad mm -hmm. and have like, it was nothing for us to do that or to go directly to people or to call folks out. Like we would do it. It just would be kind of behind closed doors. And so, um, uh, you know, because I, I like even when that when that thing happened with the fantasy football draft with the with the slave with, with the slave auction. Wait a minute! I was walking and I saw it happening. Like I literally saw it happen. <laughs> and I'm right. like, "What the hell is going on?" Like <laughs> I had no idea. It didn't happen. I was like, "Wait, you mean not nary a person thought that there was something wrong?" With this? Right. Know? But let me tell you, it was many emails and meetings that happened as a result of that. And we all like, I mean, it didn't necessarily, the, the baton didn't get passed to me. Like it wasn't my, I, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to vocalize it, but I knew several people that did that told them the reason y'all in this position and y'all getting fried right now publicly and deservedly so is because y'all don't have no black producers. And like you don't, like you don't have They had, well, well, excuse me, they had plenty of people they could have promoted. There you go. And, and, there and, that, you go. and not to interrupt you, but that's why I like that article New York Times did because we can see Mr. Mel Hill. We can see Miss Carrie Champion. We can see Mr. Mike Hill. We can see blah, 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 because y'all are TV heads. But right. what about the people who run the cameras? What about the audio exactly. people? We were, exactly. we, were, we were having our own stories too. So yeah. that article gave us a voice as well. And that's why I was happy to see it. And, and and I'll say I have respect for ESPN because, and I, I want to say this, and I'm just going to be honest because I feel like God's protecting me. I, it's like a relationship, a badass relationship. <laughs> because on one end, I love ESPN. I love that motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But then on another one, I'm like, Damn, bitch. You know what I mean? Like, You're like, why you treat me like this? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I have so much respect because I learned so much. You know, I learned so much. And I'm at such peace in my life now. It was definitely I needed that. But then I'm looking at some of the challenges and I'm like, well, it, it, it just opened your eyes to the world. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I completely get what you're saying. Uh, just real quick before I um, expound on what you're saying, because I see it coming up in the chat. People, so there was, uh, apparently when you Google me, it says that I'm 62 years old. If you guys really think I'm 62, y'all crazy. I am not 62 years old. Look at these fresh, look at this fresh face with the nice breath like, on it. This girl is not 62. Y'all better stop playing with us today, baby. <laughs> Stop playing. Uh oh, yeah, Jamel's yeah. spinning. I'm <laughs> uh oh, I'm back. I'm back. I was like, no, I am not 62 years old. I'm like, y'all crazy. Um, but no, I mean, what you said is, is is very true. Is that um, it's a place that you know you you love. You certainly poured all your efforts and your heart into 100. percent We all did, 
but at the same time, it's corporate America. You know, it's 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 a dynamic in corporate America that Black people face that is pretty consistent across the board, and you have to fight for a lot of things. You know, you you gonna um you gonna run into microaggressions like all the time, and so you luckily were able to kind of overcome some of those things. <sighs> I I mean I had to take a breather afterwards, but like I said, I, I'm. I'm glad for the experience. Um, I remember working with you a lot on uh, His and Hers. Uh, when it first started, when it was Numbers Never Live, before you were even on there, like, you know, I see the progress. Like, I feel like I've seen you grow as well, you know? So it's just been, it's been like a, it's just been like a, I need to put this in a book, basically, man. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it was, it was, you saw it from the inception when we were, as we like to used to, we used to joke to say so when we were selling tapes out the trunk. Yeah, <laughs> right? I hear y'all say that before. Yeah, that's a, that was our motto because, you know, we didn't, the way the show even happened, you know, we didn't have a lot of publicity. Uh, we was in Studio N in that little corner, the little raggedy studio. Right. <laughs> trying to, right, trying to make TV magic happen, um, you know, happen all the time. But I'm grateful for those experiences because, you know, it's so funny because once we got to Sports Center and Sports Center, you in the seventeen million dollar studio, we our 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 staff quadrupled, and we got all these bells and whistles. We got a marketing budget. Suddenly, we got commercials. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it was a true upgrade in a lot of ways. But there is we didn't have as much fun. Like it wasn't the same as when we were doing his and hers and um, really in our own world didn't have to really answer to anybody, you know, Mike cussing on air. Like, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we used to get away with some crazy stuff. And so to go from, to go from that to, uh, you know, being under more careful scrutiny at Sports Center, it was a big reason why I left. It's like, it just, it wasn't, the show wasn't us. They were trying to take the soul of who we were out of the show. They were definitely trying to take all the blackness out the show. And mm -hmm. so we were just, I mean, the the great thing about it, um, and Mike and I were kind of both like this. We were just like, if we can't do this the way we know we can do it, that'll make us, um, you know, really bring out the best in us. And for that matter, serve the culture. We don't want to fuck with it. So the easiest thing I've ever done is walk away from Sports Center. Like people are like, I can't believe you walked away. Real easy. And especially even <laughs> when, when them contract numbers don't change. So, I mean, it's like right. very easy to do. So I was kind of like disappointed because his and hers was doing so well. And that was a time where I felt like they wanted to take the energy from that show to bring it to Sports Center. And I was just like, well, damn. You know, and I used to love y'all podcast. And it's like, I just felt like, I mean, I got why it was done. But then it was just like, I mean, well, were you sad to leave the show, his and hers, too? Well, see, that's the thing is is people have said, like, well, why we don't understand why you didn't stay on, on his and hers. Okay, people, this is what you got to understand. Um, we, you would have wanted us to turn down the opportunity to have an audience that was twice as big, not to mention we were both True. getting new contracts out of it with more money than we had ever been paid at ESPN. Um, mm -hmm. And on top of that, the Sports Center machine, I mean, it is – it's a cultural icon. Like you don't turn that down. And so um, we're talking about seats that Stuart Scott sat in, you know, Rich Eisen, like 
the best broadcasters in sports history sat in these seats. Like you do not change it. You don't say, no, nah, I'm good over here in ESPN two. And not to mention ESPN two was undergoing a lot of changes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Mike and Mike was ending. Um, they were, it was a lot of talks about whether or not they were going to move first take over to ESPN. It was a lot of things happening. So we didn't know what we didn't want to happen is a game of musical chairs on ESPN2 and we try to sit down and ain't nothing there. And mm -hmm. so we were just like, oh, this makes all the sense in the world. And it was something that they offered to us. Mike and I never tried. We never went to them like we want to be sports center anchors. They came to us because they wanted to they wanted um, to do the same thing that they did with Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, where this oh, was okay, yep. Yep, his personality, his stamp on this, his branded sports center, because they were getting into personality branded sports center, and they saw some of the things we did on his and hers, and they thought it would be perfect for ESPN um, and for that slot in particular, which is a tricky slot. I mean, it's 6 p.m. The sports of the night haven't happened. Um, mm -hmm. Everything that happened before you people have seen all day. So you really do have to have um, a lot of vision and a lot of savvy with presenting people stuff that they have seen. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, we accepted the challenge and we thought it was a great opportunity, you know, for us provided um, that they pretty much leave us alone and let us do what we do. But that was, that's not the way sports center operates is that it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And as Mike used to say, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but don't nobody know how to make a meal. So, right, right. so we had to, you know, deal with that. I mean, and really it was just like a ton of creative differences that, um, that we had from the beginning and nobody, when we started sports center, nobody was thinking we're going to, this is going to fail. Like we all wanted it to succeed, but we all had very mm -hmm. different ideas of what success looked like and what it took to succeed. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, letting me hear your experiences. Um, I'm going to move to the afterlife of ESPN because mm -hmm. like right now I'm in such a peaceful place <laughs> and, and that's, I, I'm, I'm honest. Like I just, I, I've never felt this great before. I feel like I'm really, you know, I, so I want to know how are you feeling right now? You're working for the Atlantic. You have a new show, uh, Carrie and Jamel. You have a production company. What else are you doing? I mean, you're doing all these little projects. You have your your podcast. Jamel Hill is unbothered. How was 2020 for you? You're married. Yeah. So, so how 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 is life now for you? Life is very busy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I joke with people that I traded in one job for like 22 job <laughs> right you uh, sure did yeah so but it's good though because um I get an opportunity to tell stories in a number of different ways and uh, and to hear stories in a number of different ways you mentioned the podcast I have two podcasts mm -hmm. not only Jamel Hill is unbothered I have the wire podcast um rewatch podcast that I'm doing with Van Lathan um on the ringer podcast network also on Spotify where we break down every episode of The Wire. Uh, we're just about to start mm -hmm. season four. Uh, so I have that going, um, the TV show with Carrie. Um, and um, also uh, revising the manuscript for my um, first book, which will be out next year. Uh, and this wow. is, yeah, it's an autobiography, which is exactly, or a memoir, not an autobiography, not an autobiography, which is not the book I envisioned writing. 
I did not mm-hmm. want to write about myself, but nevertheless, that is what the consensus seemed to be that I needed to do. Uh, so I'm trying to finish that up. And in addition to um, also being in the process of selling some TV shows. So uh, a lot of people, I consider myself to be really blessed because during this pandemic, there's a lot of people that are out of work. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people who have been laid off, people who um, have been struggling, uh, but the pandemic has been a really different experience for me because there has been a, um, a a real an increased thirst for content, especially black content. And so, uh, yeah, so that has been good for my business, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, because, you know, part of this reckoning that we're having right now as a country, this racial rec- reconciliation is that suddenly white folks want to hear from black people and they want to tell black stories and, because it, it's not even about like giving us anything. It's about the fact that that is where the profit margins are sending them is that right now it is an incredible growth opportunity in uh, black content across the board. So that's uh, what I wanted to ask you. I'm glad you hit on that because black is trending once again. We've always been popular, of course, but now they're actually admitting that they, (laughs) they love everything that we're about. Do you think that will last Cause you know they they had you know they just doing everything for us now. Uh, all these black shows, they want to hear our stories, like you said. Are we just trending, or what's going on? So I do think culturally they realize that this is a very wise investment. Um, the demographics are changing. Like a lot of the conversations, mm-hmm. or I want to say the conversations. So the reason why this is such a racially divisive time is there is a. Um, a a significant population change that's taken place in 2042, where Mm -hmm. white people for the first time in history will not be the majority of this country. Many of them know this. Um, Some are totally fine with that, but there's a huge percentage, a huge faction of them that are not. And Mm -hmm. they are making that known politically. And this is the last grasp of power. But if you're in content and if you're in certain industries, you know that with a changing demographic, your business has to change. And so, um, and not only that, like when it comes to loyalty of of entertainment, um, Black consumers are a totally loyal group. You know, mm-hmm. nobody, we over-index everything that, that we love. Uh, we over-index linear television. We over-index social media. Black people make things hot. We make things trend. We have throughout all of pop culture history, it's always been us, okay? Yes. We're, we're the arbitrators of cool, it's us. So now the one thing that I'm glad to see is many more of us now are not content to be employees. We want to be content owners and that's the shift. The shift is not that Hollywood is suddenly welcoming us in. The shift is mm-hmm. we're demanding more. Like you, you already know, if you want to create anything with Issa Rae, she got to own it, flat out like flat out, like, or any of these other people that you see that um, have their names on it. Issa is executive producing everything. She is going into partnerships with people. Like she is owning all the things that she does. LeBron does the same thing on the sports end. LeBron owns everything he does. And because they're showing those kind of business models now, most of us know what we need to do if we plan to, um, you know, step into this content arena in a real way. I mean, Carrie and I are executive producers of our own show, 
both of our production companies get credit for this show. Vice awesome. is the platform. We are in partnership with them. And the one thing that we have not been able to do very well because of institutional racism, because of a bunch of other factors, is own our own narratives and stories. And that's why with Colin Kaepernick, for example, um, he owns everything. That's why he's getting into publishing. That's why he's doing all these things where he owns his own story. And so as long as you own your own story and you're managing uh, your own brand and everything, like you're in a really good position to be able to um, create general uh, generational wealth. And so that's what it's about. So um, right now is a really good time uh, for us to shape a new narrative. We're going to face hostility as we always have, but just think about it. This country, we don't really make much anymore. You know, it's not a manufacturing based company like it used to be, like our parents grew up with. But the one thing that the rest of the world still wants to see from us or still hungers um, from uh, America is pop culture, which black people mm -hmm. absolutely own. Beautiful. Uh, and I salute my hat to you and Carrie and all the other people, Israel, because it makes it easier for like, people like me when I get my own platform, my bigger platform, the fact that you guys are smart on your business tip is going to make it easier for the next people to come in because they're going to know that we're going to come in right and we're going to want to own this stuff, you know? So, I mean, I salute you you ladies for doing that and being smart enough to know um, how to make the, these business moves happen in the right way. That's That's really big. So you said something about generational wealth and that made me think about legacy do you think about legacy about what that means your legacy what you want to <laughs> you know what i'm saying like what you want to leave here the only time i think about legacy is when um an astute interviewer like yourself asked me about it <laughs> but you should be uh, thinking about it <laughs> well I, I think about it in this way it's like i don't sit around i don't think about it necessarily in terms of legacy i think about purpose Okay. Purpose is, is, is different to me than legacy. And so I, I, the, my purpose throughout my career has changed a lot. I mean, of course, as we, often, we all do, when we first start getting into whatever is our professional business, we think more about what we want to get out of it, as we should, you know, what, mm -hmm. you know, how it can fulfill us, what we want to do to succeed, what success looks like for me. But now that I've been able to you know, thankfully do a lot. I mean, having had, you know, um, my own TV show, um, having been able to, you know, win awards and go to the White House and do all these things and work at ESPN, those are great and, and personally very gratifying. But ultimately, I want the uh, measure of my career to be about who I help in this business, not really about what I accomplish. I've done what I needed to do, I think. And that doesn't mean to imply that it's not more things that I want to do. But mm -hmm. I think the, I don't want, um, by the time I'm finished with this business, I don't want some of the grim statistics to still be there like they were when I was there. You know, when I was at, um, uh, when I was a sports columnist at the Orlando Sentinel, this is in 2005, I was the mm -hmm. only black, black female sports columnist at a major, or not a major, at a daily newspaper um, in North America, not just America, America. It's crazy. I was, I was the only one out of 405 daily newspapers. That can't, that can't be the case when I leave. I'm not saying I'm not responsible for having, for that being the case, but mm -hmm. 
if anything, um, I've got to be able to show younger journalists um, and, and younger kids and even other women that are still trying to figure out what their lane is in this business and figure out where they belong. I've got to be able to stand for something so that they have something that they feel like they can grab onto, that they feel like this is, that their voice matters. So I'm in it for that. And um, because I, that one out of 405 is never going to sit right with me. It can't be that. Uh, that's embarrassing. And it's a real indictment about how little um, acknowledgement and how little respect that Black women have in this industry, which is why mm -hmm. I celebrate so hard every time I see somebody like Taylor Rooks being elevated or the fact that Elle Duncan is doing her thing, or even all the mat the projects that Carrie's involved with, like mm -hmm. all all these women in in the business that have been able to carve out their own piece of this, it's like that has got to continue. It can't die with us. So, um, as best I can, I'm gonna try to not just I'm not leaving a door open. I'm changing the room when I get in there so that this is not the case. That is so beautiful, Jamel. That it was great to hear. And I have to tell black people, let's continue uplifting each other. Like, even if I have a problem with another black woman or a black man, if somebody asks me out in the media, I'm not going to bash them. I'm still going to uplift them. And that's how we need to be. I'm so proud of all you guys and what y'all have been able to accomplish. Because sometimes you, when you was little, you thought you was the only person with a certain dream, but it was other little girls with that same dream. You yeah. know, maybe it had different situations. I'm just thinking about another thing, me and you have in common. We both lived in Orlando. So, you oh, know, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So we have, a, we have a few things in common, but just different paths. But we were two little girls once who had a dream. Mm -hmm. So I just think that is uh, so beautiful. Look, the time is going by so fast, and there's a lot I want to get in. So I heard that you have a problem with saying no. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, I'm getting better at it. So uh, that's the good thing because, you know, you, there's so many things that you want to, you want to do. And I don't, I hate to let people down, but I have found that if for me to be at my best self, I need to be, really be able to, to do that is, is to tell people no, or to really be uh, very protective of my time. Well, let me, wait, 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 let me stop uh, right there, Javelle. I got okay. something for you, girl. Uh -oh. I got something for you. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> All right, I call this segment do, 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 How to Say No. <laughs> I'm going to teach you in different languages how to say no. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say no and you're going to say it back in the same language. So, we're going to start off with American. So, here we go. No. No. Okay, perfect. Swedish, nay. Nay. Awesome. German. Nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. French. Uh, no. No. <laughs> I like how you did. Okay. You did a little milk curl and yeah. everything. Italian. No. Damn. That's not okay. No. <laughs> that's not yeah, aggressive. Just shout it. Yeah. Spaghetti, meatballs, no. <laughs> you know, just spit it out. Spanish, no. No. Perfect. <laughs> I'm glad. But you know the be the best the best uh, 
quote I heard about the word no. Lena Waite said this. I was um, I was moderating a panel she was on, and she said no is a complete motherfucking sentence. And I was like, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, I like it that. is. I was like, I'm here for that because most sometimes this is the other thing I'm trying to get out the habit of doing is uh, I'm definitely trying to get out the habit of saying yes to everything. But when mm-hmm. I say no, feeling as if I need to justify why I'm saying no. Oh, that's yeah. why she said. That's why she said that because a lot of us, especially women, because I feel like men don't necessarily have this problem to the degree that we do, is that when you say no, you always feel the need to like, well, but you know, I'm saying no, because you know, I gotta, I gotta do this uh-huh. and I gotta do that. Da, da, da. Like, no, no, that that's, it's a complete sentence. No, that's no, that's it, it, baby. That's it. that's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for never saying no to me. You didn't say no about coming <laughs> on the show. You didn't no. say no about being on my intro to my album, Care Dangerous, out now on all platforms. Google me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> So when I talk to you to say no, don't say it at me, but for all those No, other no, people, it's for everybody else. Okay, yeah, now no, I, it's for everybody. Yeah, and now I know how to say it in different languages, so <laughs> it's even it's even better. You <laughs> but, but but notice how no in every language, for the most part, is pretty universal, which should tell you something. That's right. That mm-hmm. means no. It's, that means it's for no. real. Yes. So check this out. I have to ask you because I I was literally so happy for you. You got a fine ass husband. I hope you don't mind me saying. <laughs> I do not. Okay. <laughs> That's how he thinks of himself as well. <laughs> Ooh. I saw him with his shirt off when y'all was going on all those little vacations. I don't know where y'all was, but it was pretty. <laughs> I am so happy for you, girl. Because my 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 little life is a horror movie. We won't even talk about that. I told you that before, baby. It's a horror movie. <laughs> Non-existence. So um, I'm just so happy for you. Anytime I can see a sister hooked up with a brother. And I want to know, how has marriage changed you? Uh, It's changed me in really all the best ways. Because I think one of the things that was my struggle, and I know that for a lot of Black women, especially career-oriented Black women, this can be a problem, is it's hard for us to show vulnerability. And um, it certainly was hard for me for sure, because I think you're in this mode of like, you used to doing everything for yourself. You know, you're the only person that you can only depend on you. You can't really rely on anybody else. You're taught to almost be self-sufficient to a fault. And mm-hmm. so um, knowing it, it was always hard for me to kind of peel back all those things and just be able to um, rely on somebody else or if I'm feeling um, certain emotions, be able to share those with somebody else. And the thing about marriage is that it forces you to be, um, to be vulnerable with somebody else. That's the whole reason you married them. And that was a welcome change for me. It just helped me grow so much emotionally. It just helped me grow so much emotionally, like being in um, a marriage. Because, it, you know, I think and look, I'm saying this, I'm 10 months in. It may be people out there that's in this chat that have been in it 15 years, 20 years, whatever. I'm sure they have way better advice than I do. But the one thing that is uh, kind of central to, to how, you know, why we have been able to be a successful couple and have a successful marriage is that um, you have to be committed to something bigger than you. And um, we're both committed to... Um, not ourselves individually, but for not just serving each other and not just serving God, but also 
you know, understanding that we are a, a unit now. This is a partnership. This is, you know, we have each other's back. This is somebody that we're, you know, we're each other's emergency contact. That means something. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. I, I've seen, is it pronounced Ann or Ann? I, yeah. I know it's probably Ann, duh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's, you're on the show Black Love on, um, on the OWN Network. And it reminded me of something the comedian Monique said about her husband being there and being vocal and being by her side. Your husband seems very supportive of you. He is very protective. And for me, you know, when you grow up and you love your dad, you know, most uh, girls are, are daddy girls. And it's like you get used to that. You want to have that caring man. And to see you have a husband that supports you. Jamea, how does that feel? I mean, it's great because I think that there is this idea, especially because I'm so in the, the public eye, there's this idea that uh, that a lot of men aren't secure enough to handle being in that kind of position. And mm -hmm. that's not to say that, you know, there's a long list of men who are able to handle it. It is to say that it comes, to be with me comes with some unique challenges, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, um, you know, not only is it going to force a certain part of our lives to be public, but, you know, you're... I mean, we were we were boyfriend and girlfriend then, but you know the week that the the, the president attacked me publicly, it's like, you know that that becomes part of his life too. So it's just, um, you know the 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 blowback that I get sometimes from people, the controversies, if you will, these are things that have become a part of his life. You know, when we started dating, it wasn't with this idea that uh, from time to time that I'm gonna make you know, news, not that he minds and he handles it, uh, he handles it great, but it's just like, it's just an added complication to our relationship. And then it's also perception, you know, I mean, I'm not saying these figures have been necessarily accurate, but the fact is like, I mean, my salary has been reported on in the media for like the last 15 years. And so yes. people, <laughs> it, has. it has, like, I mean, it's just right. like, I don't know how people find these things out or whatever, but you know, then people start making assumptions about our relationship and about him. And he has been able to handle that like ex exceptionally well. And uh, if a, a less secure man would be bothered by not just the attention that I receive, but also by yeah. the idea of that people assuming that he's only with me because I'm famous or I'm his sugar mama, like, you know, all kind of dumb shit, right? So he's able to take that completely in stride. And I, I think the one thing or one of the biggest things that I loved about him is that even when we were dating, I mean, the first time we went to the ESPYs, you know, mm -hmm. I was thinking like, you know, I knew just based on being around him how he was, but I, you know, seeing him in that environment where we're, you know, at LeBron's after party and hanging out with quote unquote, super famous people, but he was always himself. He was not like trying to be super fanboy. He wasn't tripping. He wasn't like, you know, nothing. He was just relaxed as if we were around a bunch of people who weren't famous. And so that showed me a lot about like who he was and just how comfortable and secure he was in himself, which is what I certainly needed. That's beautiful. And I would say more about that, but I want to get a couple more questions in for this time run out. <laughs> okay. Um shit. It's just like <laughs> Did you Damn. have a seen did you have a senior moment? <laughs> oh man, yeah, because I'm like trying to fit it in under this whole hour. It's like I could talk to you for a long time, you know. <laughs> um 
crowd, where where did my thoughts go? Oh, Jamel, when everybody was against you, like not everybody, but when people would talk trash about you and all this stuff. Internally, what are you thinking? Are you is it was it really easy for you to deal with? Did you just want to curse people out? I mean, the, like, the only the only part that that bothers me is that it gets frustrating after a while because mm -hmm. you um you know you you get tired of people talking shit. So you be like, all right, man, like okay, enough. Knock if you buck, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right off on it. Right, and you, especially you already know how it is on social media. A lot of people be talking real slick. You know, with right. these keyboards and everything, and you just like now you know. Did y'all forget I'm from Detroit, baby? I, I try to remind like. him. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you saw that the after the post show we did for Black Love, but we were talking about you know dealing with some of the the hatred that I get. I just I let everybody know my husband's a gun owner, just so you know. <laughs> so okay, y'all can shout all that if you want to. Any personal conversation, a personal confrontation you think you're going to have with me is not going to go down how you think it is. So if anything, uh, you know, you just get irritated by, you know, by folks. But it didn't, you know, I didn't internalize what people actually said because I know who I am. Like, they don't know me. Right. So I'm like, I know who I am. And whatever it is you think I am, uh, you you can think those things, but you haven't known me at all you don't know shit about me beyond what you see on television or what somebody else told you so why would i get why would i care really about any of that and so um for me it was it was real simple i mean you know when i especially like when i got suspended and everything was going down i, I uh caught a flight to see my husband you know then my boyfriend mm -hmm. We hung out at the for a whole week together just like chilling and i tried to block out a lot of the noise and um, and that was it. But yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't. The only things that bothered me were, um, I felt like some of the blowback people that who I do love and care for got that they didn't deserve that because this was my situation, not theirs, you know, like Mike, for example, you know, having to do the show when I'm not there and him having to kind of deal with the fallout of some of the stuff that happened. And he never, I mean, he supported me a thousand percent, but it's just like, it was collateral damage and something that, you know, he really had nothing to do with. So those are the types of things that bother me, not really what people say. And I have to say, y'all, anybody I have on the show is good people. Like, I, I, I've i known Jamel. I mean, I don't know, know, know her, but we know each other. And anybody I have on the show, like Mike, Michael, great guy, sweet guy. I mean, these are really good people. And I want to tell people before time run out, make sure you subscribe. I need your support to my podcast on uh, the podcast platform, Spotify, Anchor, uh, Google, Apple, all of them. And also subscribe to my YouTube, follow Jamel on her Spotify, and watch her show on Vice and every other damn thing she's doing. she got so much <laughs> shit going on. Um, it's ridiculous. Jamel, I, I, damn it. It's, what's going on with me with these moments? <laughs> I, want, I, I got so much to ask you. Oh, I got to know. It's a 30th anniversary of Fresh Prince. How awesome was it to see the black, um, the dark black skin? I mean, black yeah, I, I didn't want to say it wrong. <laughs> Sitting with Will Smith. I know that had to excite you as much oh, as it excited me. super excited. I'm glad that they, um, they clearly, I know that they have some differences in their relationship. So glad right. that, that they seem to have reconciled. I, you know, it's funny because I was able, I, you know, because of reruns and stuff, um, every night I either go to sleep watching Martin or, or Fresh Prince. Now, when Fresh Prince was on, like, I liked the show, 
but it wasn't i didn't i didn't like martin was my show right so it's like not no, you no you did Jada. no you did i'll take your apple head and Gina, no, you did it. So Martin Mama's like, bird. I'm sorry. Mama, I'm sorry. Not my mama bird. Not my mama bird. Not my mama. Yes. So Martin was like the show. And so I had a different relationship with, with the Fresh Prince. I thought it was a good show. But it wasn't something that like hooked me the way that Martin did. But having watched watching the show now, as I do pretty much every day, it's it's such a underrated show, and I know that seems crazy. Jamel, eighteen seconds to go, girl. I love you so much. Thank you so much for doing my <laughs> show. I would love to have you again if you want to come on. I hope you had a great time. I'm so Anytime. happy to see all the things you're doing. God bless you, your marriage, your business ventures, everything. 